you are at Founders FAQ, answers to all the possible questions of a founder. The way we define product market fit and emergence is, do you have a at least a handful of customers that are your target audience that absolutely love your product and are paying full price for it? So you need, you need each of those components. So are they paying full price? Do they absolutely love it? And are they your target customers? All three kind of have to be true. Welcome to Founders of AQ. Today, my guest is Jake Zipper. Jake is general partner at Emergence Capital, a venture capital firm invested in companies collectively worth $100 billion, including Salesforce, Viva, Box, Yammer, and Zoom. Hey, Jack. Thank you for coming to Founders of AQ. Thank you for having me. Uh, I have a lot of questions for you, but my first question is, how do you evaluate the founder product fit when you first met the founder in your first meeting? The founder product fit. Yeah. I tend to think about it from the perspective of founder market fit before I even think about founder product fit. So does the, and, and very simply, the, the simplest rule of thumb is to ask, you know, what experience the founder has with this problem in the past, either specifically in the market that they're going after, or just more broadly, you know, what, what experience they've had with this problem. So as an example, if the problem that someone is solving is industry specific, you know, if they're trying to figure out how to build a better mortgage system of record, then looking to see how much experience they have in the mortgage space and the mortgage technology space is a really simple proxy to understand how much do they understand this pain point, this problem. If the pro if the, the problem they're solving is more of a horizontal problem, understanding how they have how they have felt that pain themselves in a previous life is also really helpful. As an example, we're investors in a company called Guru, which is a knowledge management uh, product. And the the founders of, of of Guru previously started a company called Boomi, which which ended up getting sold to Dell as a competitor to MuleSoft. And they started Guru because of knowledge management issues they had as founders of a previous company. And if you, you I think it's still on the website of Guru, if you go and read about the history of the company, they have this manifesto they wrote when they started the company about all the pain points they felt when they were running their previous company and how they wanted to build a product that could help them address that so that for other founders and other company leaders, they'd have something that helped them share knowledge more effectively. So that's a long way of saying founder market fit doesn't just have to be, you know, a, a vertical specific thing where you've worked in construction, or you've worked in mortgage or whatever the place you're building. If it's a horizontal product, it can be a really authentic and thoughtful articulation of your understanding of and passion for solving this problem. Mm -hmm. I get it. You have to leave the problem in uh, when you wake up and when you go about right. Yeah. You're trying to understand someone's authentic passion for solving this problem. I think one common failure mode of startups and, and, and frankly, particularly startups that come out of uh, business school programs. I went to Stanford Business School and I had a wonderful experience there and, and met a lot of great friends. I think one of the downsides with these business school programs is that they encourage people to start companies. The programs don't themselves, but the the, the socially cool thing to do on campus is to start a company and people start companies for the sake of starting companies, which is not a good reason to start a company because ultimately, you know, starting and running a company is a grind. And the only way to get through that grind is because you have a deep and authentic passion for solving a problem. So I, I believe that and something I look for in founders is I really want to understand how passionate are you about wanting the world to look different around whatever problem you're trying to solve. And while scaling to a startup is, is pretty important to the board members like it's kind of top-notch team of a founder and after the price round an new investor comes to your board so what 
what would be your suggestions for founders to leverage the board effectively after the price run? Yeah, for sure. So the, the, the first thing I'd say is even before you figure out how to leverage the board member, the first is choosing choosing your board member, which is extraordinarily important. One interesting statistic that we, we talk about sometimes is that the average American marriage is shorter than the average board relationship that we have at Emergence. And, and part of that is that we invest over the long run. We try, we have three core values at Emergence and our third core value is that we win big in the long run. And so we, we generally try to, to be with our founders for the duration of their company, even after they go public. So Viva Systems is a company we invested in 2009, coming to public in 2013. And my partner, Gordon, is still the chairman of the board there. We're still very actively involved. Um, Zoom is a company we invested back in 2014. And we're still the largest investors of the company, even though the company's been public for a little while now. And my partner, Santi, is on the board there. So, so these, these relationships last a very long time, even you know in a, in a great success scenario, for at least for how we practice the craft of venture. And so understanding as a founder who you are inviting into your board is really, really important because in, in many ways, it's also easier to get divorced than it is to get rid of your board member if you don't like them. So the first thing I think is important for founders to understand is what do they want out of a board member? There's The good news for founders is there's more options for capital than there's ever been before. And as a result, you know you can match whatever you want to, you know, to a, a very robust market. There are certain founders who simply want passive capital, who just want, you know, capital at attractive terms and want to go on their way, which may mean that you don't actually give up a board seat at all. There are some founders who may want a more passive board member who asks questions and, you know, responds when called on, but is not as proactive. And there's some founders who are looking more for an active partner in building the business. And that's really where Emergence tries to, to focus on. So our second core value is that we strive to be the most important partner to our founders. So we very much take that. That's how we like to practice the craft adventure, which means that we're not the best partner or the right partner, I should say, for every founder. Because if a founder is not looking for that, that may not be, we may not be the right fit. But if you are looking for an active partner, we think we're, we're a good fit. So I can, I can talk to you a bit about what we do on boards. So the first thing I'd say is that Emergence in particular has a lot of expertise around B2B go-to-market strategies. All we do is invest in B2B software companies. And we've invested in over 100 over the past 20 years. So we've seen every business model, go-to-market model from, you know, Salesforce top down to Zoom bottom up and everything in between. So we try to leverage that knowledge and give it to our founders. So we spend a lot of time getting really detailed uh, into the details around your sales strategy. What should your first call pitch deck look like? How should you change it? Who should your first AEs be? How do you think about a VP of sales? How do you think about a VP of marketing? How should you order, you know, head of customer success versus a head of marketing in your in your hiring plan? All those types of questions are things we spend a lot of time on. Pricing and packaging is another one that we tend to spend a lot of time with our founders on. All the things that we've seen from other companies and we try to bring that knowledge to founders as they're making their own decisions about what's right for, for their business is something we spend a lot of time on. Hiring is another thing we spend a tremendous amount of time on. So helping you, first of all, craft the right profile and then help you identify candidates that um, are attractive and then actually help you close those candidates. So after this, I have a conversation with, with a potential executive hire for one of our portfolio companies to try to convince her to join the company. So I spent a lot of time you know, doing that. And then lastly, there's just kind of this consistent, you know, aid in prioritization is the way I would think about it. So I, I view my role as a board member as, as helping the CEO figure out what is the most important thing to focus on in the business. Because there's so many things they could focus on. How do I help them prioritize 
what they should be uh, most most focused on, as well as how they should respond um, to stimuli in the environment. Another role that I, I view myself as playing is as an emotional calibrant to my founders. Meaning, if um, something goes really really well in the business, you know, my job is to come in and say, "This is awesome," but you know, eyes on the prize. There's a lot, a lot of things we got to still focus on. Let's not get too distracted with you know how well things are going, and then vice versa. Frankly, more frequently, if something happens that you know that is negative for the business and the founder gets really upset, I again view my job to come in and help them calibrate and say, you know, this is not that big of a deal. Yes, this is a challenge and a setback, but here are some ways we can think about overcoming it and to kind of pick the founder back up. So that's another a bit more touchy-feely role, but I think it's really important for us to, to serve it because being a founder is really hard and our job is to make it a little bit less hard. And in this process, the founders can get a big decision like pivots and you most probably help the founder for the pivots. So founders are kind of struggle for the timing of the pivots. What's the really right time to pivot the company and what do you think about it? Yeah. So we generally, our most common stage of investing is, is leading series A's. And by the time they get to series A's, we try to ascertain the company has a rough product market fit. And the way we define product market fit and emergence is, do you have a at least a handful of customers that are your target audience that absolutely love your product and are paying full price for it? So you need, you need each of those components. So are they paying full price? Do they absolutely love it? And are they your target customers? All three kind of have to be true. And we generally try to invest once that's the case. Occasionally, we'll invest earlier if we have a lot of conviction of the founder or the idea, but that's really our sweet spot is that kind of product market fit. So generally, when we invest, the company is is, is at that product market fit stage and as a result, doesn't end up doing too much pivoting from a, from a completely changing the business model perspective. It does happen, but it's not, it's not the most common thing. I would say in terms of advising founders on how to figure out when to pivot, I would say if you've built a product and you don't have you know, tremendous customer love and you've been tweaking it for a while to try to get to that place of customer love, that might be a good indicator uh, of pivoting. Because I think that by far the most important thing for an early stage company to crack is obsessive customer love, which can be you know evidenced by NPS score, it can be evidenced certainly by renewal rates, but could also be evidenced by usage. So one of the things that we spend a lot of time looking at is product usage, which has traditionally been more of a consumer investing metric. But we think in the enterprise, it matters a lot as well, because it's a leading indicator of, of value. And while founders are reaching out to you, you most prefer like for intros or just crystal clear blurbs, uh, what you prefer? Yeah, you know, I would say we're open to, to anything. Like the reality is it's it's really more of a, a function of, of, you know, the content of the idea and the traction that you've got versus the intro you have. The intro can help cut through the noise because we get so many, you know, inbound messages. But a, an incredibly well-crafted and thoughtful cold inbounds is also something we will respond to. What I would say is not effective is the, and this is pretty obvious, but it's the, you know, copy and paste replace the name type thing. If you're going to send a cold intro, it's got to be extremely well crafted to us. And I think there's no excuse for it not being because we have, there's so much information that we have out there in the form of podcasts like this one, or in the form of, of writing that we put out there, passive essence we made, etc. that there's really no excuse for founders to not uh, do that tailor crafting less because like, you know, it's an ego stroke for us. Although admittedly, you know, VCs are ego driven creatures for better and for worse. <laughs> although I guess most humans are, but honestly, for me, it's more of an indicator of how you'd actually go about selling your product. Because it tells me like, if you're not selling, like, I want to see how I take your outreach to me as an indicator of how you'd out how you, you outreach to your customers. And I want to make sure that when you're reaching out to your customers, you're putting in a lot of time to customize your outreach to them, be that through a warm intro or a cold outbound. So I, I kind of view it as an indicator of how you do your, your outbound go to market strategies for your own company, which is much more important than how you reach out to investors. And at this point, other than just traction or other numbers, what do you want to see from the founder, like putting the vision in a really crystal 
clear manner or what what do you expect from the founder like telling the story in a really well way because at the end the founder will tell the story to the new a plus people to get them the company what do you yeah. expect from them yeah so yeah in addition i think there, there are two things that i really spend a lot of time looking at the first as i mentioned is product usage data i really want to see that your product is well loved um, by that by your customers and I'll, t- i'll try to talk to customers as well to understand from their own mouth you know how much value they're getting out of the product but the second thing i, I tend to look at is is you know the founder and the and you know her ability to sell a vision because because you know ultimately the founder's job is to sell employees it's to sell customers it's to sell investors and it's to sell the broader market on them and the company that they're building so one like very subjective but important proxy i use in determining that is i'll spend a lot of time with the founder and then i'll ask myself the question would i work for her and for me that's a really effective way to know am i going to be able to attract great VP level talent to work for this person? And if the answer is no, then I need to, I might need to move on. And while closing the round, founders sometimes can focus on the evaluation part rather than just showing what will they do for the next 18 months, 24 months. So what would you like to recommend for them like closing the rounds for those negotiation parts? So the, 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 mo- the most important thing to keep in mind for both the investor and for the founder is how do you set up the company for success? Because ultimately you're both fiduciaries of the company. Once the investor joins the board and certainly the founders, they have you know financial rights to the shareholders, or financial obligations rather to the shareholders. And so every decision should be made with like, what is the long-term uh, value creating move for the company? And so when you think about valuation or amount raised, that's the that's the lens the best lens through which i think both parties should look at those questions so if the valuation is too high then it can be difficult for the founder to execute such that they'll be able to raise a successful subsequent rounds, which can create a down round and it's really bad for the company overall. If on the other hand, the valuation is too low or they're not raising enough money, it could set the company up for failure either because the founders ultimately dilute themselves too much and as a result aren't motivated to continue to work really hard for the business. Or if they don't raise enough cash, you could get to a position where they don't have enough runway to get to the next milestone and raise a successful round. And so I think it's it's really important for both parties at the stage of, of round formulation to ensure that you're setting a valuation level and uh, amount raised level that gives the, the company enough enough room to run, so to speak. And my last question is, after the pandemic, what, what do you see for the SF people living the SF? Do you think SF will be hot again after the pandemic or new cities coming around? What do you suggest for founders while starting their companies? Yeah, yeah. So I think this may be, I don't know how you'll view this answer, but in my mind, it is both true that the pandemic is making entrepreneurship more global and distributed than it ever has been and will continue to be post-COVID. And in my mind, it's also true that SF will continue to be a vibrant tech hub. I think those two things are both true. Just as a, as a, a great illustration of this, we, we've invested in a couple companies over the past uh, month. We, we led the series and a couple companies over the last month. One company is based in San Francisco and has 10 employees and is very eager to get back into the office and will only hire employees that are based in San Francisco. Like Deeply, deeply believes in the value of all being together and that this ecosystem system is a really valuable one to recruit from, even if it's more expensive. The other company we invested in is a remote only fully distributed company that was fully distributed prior to COVID. It's a two-year-old company. And so they like to say they were, they were distributed before it was cool. And they have no geographic. I think they have a couple people in San Francisco, but that just happens to be the case. Founder you know, is based in Europe and there's people kind of scattered throughout the US and Europe that work for the company. And you know, we we're equally excited to back that company. And so I think the exciting thing is like there's all sorts of innovation happening and tools like Zoom and Slack 
allow for more efficient distributed communications. And I think the money you save on office space allows you to have these really robust offsites where everyone gets together in one place, which can in some ways create even deeper bonds. Yet San Francisco also has a, a magnetic allure with institutions like Berkeley and Stanford, which I think will continue post-COVID to be physical location places. They're going to continue to attract world-class technical talent, which will continue to attract you know world-class venture dollars. So I, I think San Francisco is going to be a vibrant hub. And it is also true that more and more wonderful companies are going to be started outside of San Francisco, which is a good thing. Yes, that's great. Thank you, Jack. These are all my okay. questions. <laughs> By the way, Founders FAQ is in pre-order and it covers the answers to all the possible questions of a founder in a startup journey, whether revealing life-saving principles for the startup survival path, building A-plus themes, creating an evolving machine, setting up a need culture, or interpreting the true path for the fundraising. You can pre-order it from foundersfaq.com and you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook.